Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. we come back to the epistle written by the Apostle Peter, and we want to look at uh, one particular phrase in verse 3. There we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Please be seated. There's a famous movie about two prison inmates that dream about being free, free from the misery of their prison cell. And they talk about what they would do if one day they got out. And they're out on the prison yard. Andy, one of the prisoners, tells his inmate, Red, if he's ever released from prison, that he should go to a certain town, and there in that certain town you'll find a cornfield. And there will be a tree. Push aside the rock near that tree, and there you'll find some money and some instructions on where you should go. Because they had dreamed about going to this Mexican fishing village that they had dreamed about. Well, not long after that discussion, Andy escapes from prison, and Red is paroled a few months or perhaps even years later. And Red goes to that place that Andy told him. And sure enough, finds a tin can, and in that can is the money promised along with the notes. And in that note was the instructions on what he should do, but there was also this word. Red, never forget. Hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. Hope is a good thing, maybe the best of thing, and no good thing ever dies. Hope was all those prisoners had. Hope is what kept them going through the drudgery of life, of the monotony of every day. If they had no hope, they would only despair, perhaps despair of life itself. And perhaps you know that feeling, No, you're not in prison, but you know the prison of despair. And hope is indeed a good thing, a needful thing. Yes, in life it's one of the best of things. It's what makes us human. Hope keeps us going. And people so desperately want hope. If there is no hope, People often sink into depression, do they not? And all of us have been there to one degree or the other. And we all know with people that struggle with depression, perhaps even you yourself. It is real and it is debilitating. And depression can be simply defined as hopelessness. No desire for the future. 
stuck in the prison cell of the presence without much light. Well, what do we do when we experience such times as this, such times of despair and hopelessness? We need hope. The world needs hope. And we have real hope. As Peter calls it this morning, we have a living hope. And so I want to spend our time this morning exploring this wonderful and life-giving word. And we'll see it in two points. Real hope, and then second, living hope. First, real hope. As we begin this morning, it is right to be reminded of the context. Peter is writing to those that are in very much need of hope. Peter was writing to people that were experiencing persecution, trials, and tribulations. And those that Peter was writing to quite literally were in danger of their very lives. Oftentimes, because they were Christians, because they were followers of Jesus Christ. And Peter, knowing this, writes an encouraging Hopeful letter. John is often called the apostle of love. Paul is called the apostle of faith. But Peter is called the apostle of hope. And that is a right designation. Because he refers to hope throughout this letter. He begins with it here. In fact, he speaks of it three times in the opening chapter. But why? Was it because Peter was naturally an optimistic person? Well, no, not to say that he was pessimistic, but Peter's hope was not rooted just in his personality or in his character. No, his hope was not rooted in himself, nor in anything of this earth. Rather, it was rooted in God himself. And that is where this morning we need to have a redefinition of hope. See, we seemingly know about hope. People talk about it. Our culture loves to think on it. In fact, it is a buzzword, is it not? A word that gets a response. Our former president, as you know, ran his entire presidential campaign on that one word, hope. And it obviously resonated with people. I noticed that there is a governor candidate here in Georgia that is piggybacking that slogan with bringing hope back. And you're going to hear a lot of that during this political season, are you not? Candidates talking about hope. But if you were to ask them, what do you mean by hope? No doubt they would have a response. They always have a response. But their response, no doubt, would be a lot of cliché statements about a bright future and progress that can be made. But no doubt it would be very nebulous and not concrete at all. And the question I would want to ask them is, what is your hope in? Because what your hope is in, what your hope is anchored to is essential to it being a true hope or a false hope. 
And so this morning, I do not want to give you a false hope. I do not want to give you a nebulous hope. I want you to know true hope. A true Christian hope, which as we will see is the only true hope there is. And so let me begin with a definition. Professor David Murray gives this wonderful definition of hope. He said, Christian hope is a realistic expectation and joyful longing for future grace and glory based upon God's word. Let me say that again. Christian hope is a realistic expectation and joyful longing for future grace and glory based upon God's word. And that's a good definition. We could spend our time just looking at that definition, but for the sake of time, I just want you to notice one aspect of it, that it is realistic. It's a realistic expectation. In other words, it is a certain or has certainty to it. And that is the problem with the world's definition of hope, is it not? It's really not a hope. It is a hope so. Are you going to come to the party on Friday night? Well, I hope so. I hope to be there. It's a want, it's a desire, at best a likelihood, but it is uncertain. I hope the Braves win the World Series. Many of you would say that's even less likely. But that is what and how we use that word. Yet in the human sense, that is the only way that we can use that word. Because according to our perspective, life is unknown. It is unpredictable. We don't know what's going to happen next hour, let alone next day or a year from now. And so that type of hope is very uncertain. But Peter in this passage was not giving his readers that type of hope. Rather, he's pointing them to a real hope, a certain hope of something that will happen. And what is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because as I told you last week, verses 3 through 12 are all one sentence in the Greek. And so it's one continuous thought. And so he talks about this living hope, and I think he links it to what he says later in verse 5, that this is a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then he goes on in verse 7 to tell us about what is going to be revealed. And he says that it's going to be in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is saying this is where you need to have your hope. That Jesus Christ is going to be revealed again. In other words, Jesus Christ is going to come back again. And that is what the angel said to the disciples on that day when Jesus ascended up into the clouds. The angel said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go up. In other words, because he has gone up, he's also going to come down again. That Jesus is coming to earth. And there in his coming, he's going to complete that salvation that he started in his first coming. That he's going to make 
all wrong things right, all wicked things righteous, all evil things pure and holy. Not just in general, but specifically in you. That we're going to be made right. Physically and emotionally and mentally. And spiritually we will be made righteous and pure and holy. And there we will dwell in the full communion with God. And we shall see Him as He truly is. We shall see Him as it were face to face. And He will restore Eden to this earth once again. But it's even to be far more glorious than what Adam and Eve experienced. And Peter is saying, it is upon that we need to place our hope. It's upon that that we need to rejoice. We need to rejoice and have hope in that realistic expectation. And have it as a joyful longing. Christians breathe in future air. They fill their lungs and hearts for that which is yet to come. And it's that which is yet to come that gives them hope. We are to keep one eye on the present and one eye looking towards the future. Jesus tells of this parable in Matthew chapter 25 of these ten virgins that are waiting And as you know, five are ready and five are not. In essence, five are prepared for their wedding day and five are not. Five have been waiting and getting all of the necessary details in place. Because they have remembered the words that their bridegroom told them. Saying, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. And when it is ready, I will come back for you. And so as a result of those words, they are looking forward to that day. And we understand that, don't we? That every bride cannot wait to be married. They spend every waking moment preparing and wishing that today was their wedding day. They are counting down the days. I always love to ask couples when they come into to my office for premarital counseling, I always ask them, so how many days? And they always know. In fact, the last one I just did, not only did she know the days, she knew the hours and even the minutes. 14 days, 3 hours, and 26 minutes. Or something to that effect. And I looked at the groom and he was wide-eyed and he said, yeah, what she said. But she knew, and every bride knows. And so we see how foolish it would be for them to hear that five brides were not ready. Five brides were not prepared. And in fact, Jesus calls them fools. And yet the point is this, if we do not have that joyful longing for our bridegroom, For the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't have that same excitement, then can I say it? We are similar fools. We are similar fools to those five that were not ready. 
Because Peter will go on to say in 1 Peter 3.15 that we must always be ready to give the hope that is within us. Notice that, that we must always be ready in order to be ready. That means that the hope is right there. It's on our heart, it's on our mind, it's on our lips all of the time. And yet, too often, and I put myself in this category, too often, that is not on our hearts, and is not on our minds, and not upon our tongues and upon our lips. And the reason why I think that is, is because I think too often we are too set on the things of this earth. That we are too worldly. Now that doesn't mean that we don't have future plans. Or future expectations. Or that we put life on hold. We don't ever say, well, I'm not going to buy that car or that house because, well, Jesus could come back. Or I'm not going to go to college because, you know, he could come any day. No, we, we, we plan. And you are to plan. But I think the point is this. If you can't say, I will hand all of that over right now. I'll trade all of that in this very moment for Jesus to come back again. Because that is far greater then I think the love of this world has crept into our hearts and has allowed it to squeeze some of the spiritual life out of us. If we can't say right here, right now, yes, Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. If we can't have that same prayer as we see in the book of Revelation, then our hearts aren't right. We need to do business with Jesus. And in doing business with Jesus, either we need to come to know him first and foremost. Or else we need to not allow those other things of this world to crowd out our love and our true hope. As the book of Revelation would say, we have lost our first love. And perhaps even worse than that, we have no true hope. And you might say, well, no, I'm a very hopeful person. Well, I'm telling you this morning, if your hope is not directly tied to God, then you have a false hope. If our hope is ultimately in the things of this world, then we have no hope at all. Because the hope of this world will always let us down. And we've experienced this, haven't we? How many times in our life have we thought, well, if I only have this, if I only get that, If I only achieve that accomplishment, I will be happy and content all of my days. How long does that last? Not long at all. Like butterflies that flutter from one flower to another, hoping that this one will satisfy and then this one will quench. The thirst always persists, it always remains. I love the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, the man that literally had it all and the wisdom to discern it all, says, life under the sun. In other words, life here is vanity, vanity. All is vanity. He says it is a vapor. It is nothingness. It's a striving after the wind. It's that there is nothing to be gained under the sun. And you might read Ecclesiastes, and I encourage you to do it, and say, oh, Solomon, 
Stop being such a a Debbie Downer. Cheer up. No, I think he got it absolutely right. And it is a proper summary of life. That absent of God, life has no true meaning. It has no hope. But this is the point. It was never meant to be the source of hope. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so if your treasure is on the things of this earth, then you are going to be disappointed. You are going to be let down. But if your hope is in the things of God, the things that are in heaven, well then we have the difference between a false hope and a true hope. So Peter would say to us this morning, our treasure is truly in heaven. And he is coming back again. And we have a joyful longing for that. In that we have a real hope. And second, then, we have a living hope. You might say, well, that sounds good and it sounds great, but maybe Jesus is not coming back again. Maybe that's just pie in the sky, by and by. Notice what Peter links this hope to. He says it is a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why can we know that this hope is true? How do we know that this hope is certain? It's because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Paul, or Peter, excuse me, ties it to a real objective fact, a real objective reality, a time and space event. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then you're right, we have no hope. My preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, that we of all people should be most pitied. But if Jesus is risen from the dead, and he is, then we ought to be the most hopeful of people. The most joyful. We have true meaning. We have real purpose. Not just now but for all eternity. And therefore, we don't have a dead hope, but we have a living hope. Why? Because Jesus Christ is living. And the proof that he is living is not only because the word of God says it, which is proof enough, but he says that we are born again to this living hope. That there is life that is breathed into us. And through that regeneration, we have a new hope, that we are new beings in Christ. We have new desires, new affections, new purpose to please the Lord. Let me ask, would you be who you are if God had not done what he has done in you? Absolutely not. But we are true beings, new beings, with a new hope. So since Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, he is living and we are living in him. And therefore we have this sure and living hope. He is with us and we will be with him for all of eternity. We need hope and we have hope. And so let me 
speak very openly and honestly to you this morning. Several of you have or are or will struggle with depression. They estimate 16 million Americans struggle with depression. And Christians are not immune to that. The fastest growing prescription drug in 2017 was antidepressants, growing over $17 billion. And we are physical and emotional and spiritual beings, and depression affects all of it. And I can't tell you, nor would I tell you, what is needed specifically for you this morning. But I can tell you what is absolutely needed. And what is absolutely needed is hope. And that hope is found in Jesus Christ. And that has always been the source of our hope. Notice we we read earlier Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you with turmoil within? That is one the psalmist there knows that struggle. Knows what it means to be downcast. Can we even say he knows what it means to be depressed? But yet don't get so caught up on that that you don't see what he says and what he points to. Yes, he says, why are you downcast, O my soul? But then he goes on to say, hope in God. Notice he's speaking to himself in a sense. Speaking to his own soul. Soul, hope in God. For I shall praise him, my salvation, and my God. He points us to the hope. He points us to the source of that hope. And so if you are born again, then that hope is yours. Sometimes it may not come naturally. Sometimes we may need to fight for it. But it is a part of your inheritance in Jesus Christ. For us not to have it. We are being robbed of something that belongs to us. And so let me conclude this morning by giving you several ways to better achieve this hope. First is what we briefly touched on. Do not set your hope in the things of this earth. Again, that doesn't mean that we do not find pleasure in our work or in our family or especially today in our mothers or in the things of this earth. No, we do. But they can never be the ultimate source of satisfaction. They were never intended to be. Our hope is never to be circumstantial, as it were. Notice Peter never says to those that he is writing to, your circumstances are about to change. Peter doesn't know that. They might actually get worse. Perhaps the people that he's writing to may even get killed for their faith. And therefore, Peter doesn't point to their circumstances. It may get better, it may get worse. But he points to a real hope that does not change. And so if you're struggling with hopelessness this morning, are we looking too much to the things of this earth? To the circumstances of life? To what they may be or what they may not be? Because disappointment and discontentment can be a short path to hopelessness and despair. 
And so I'm not telling you this morning that your circumstances may change, because it may not. But I can tell you that your outlook surely can. And so let me encourage you to raise your eyes up, to set your hope in God. And that is the second point here of this application, set your hope in God. Notice what Paul says in Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Notice again, he links it to being raised with Christ, having that newness of life. And therefore, if that is true for you, where do we set our heart and our mind? On things above. Where do we set our affections and our thoughts? On things above, specifically on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there we have true source of hope. There we have where our hope can be tethered to something that does not change. I love what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 6. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. That this anchor of the soul is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's us being anchored in him, that we can truly have hope. On the catacombs, the tombs of the early Christians, there would often be an image of an anchor. I was tied to this metaphor in Hebrews chapter 6. It's such a fitting summary of what the Christian life is, isn't it? That no matter what comes, the storms of life, the the winds and waves. If we're tied to that anchor, that anchor always holds. Because that anchor is the Lord Jesus Christ who keeps us and protects us even in the worst of storms. As many of you know, I volunteer as a police chaplain. And yesterday we had a, a marriage conference for police officers and their spouses in this county. And because they have a stressful job, and oftentimes that impacts their marriage, their, their day is filled with stress and anxiety. And so just let me say, be in prayer for your fellow police officers and your first responders. And I was talking with one of our chaplains, and he was talking about the, just the stress that they have, these officers. And he said something to me that just stuck. He said, you know, they, they have to depend on God. They have to depend on God first, and then if they're married, they have to depend on their spouses. And then they have to depend on one another, their other fellow police officers. And then he looks at me and he says, and then we're like fourth on that list. But then he said, but we help them and bring them back to God and to their spouse, and to one another. And hopefully keep them on that cycle. And I thought that's my role not only as a chaplain, but as a pastor as well. I can't give you hope. I can't take away your despair this morning. But I can tell you where to find hope. To prioritize our gaze to, once again, look upward. 
and do so together. If you're married with your spouse, with your children, with you as a church family, that we're in this journey together. And I say this as much to myself as I do to you this day. And let me just say a quick word to the mothers that are here. This isn't a mother's sermon per se, but I think there is an encouraging word that can be said to you mothers. That oftentimes you are the hope center of the home. That you are the person that the rest of the family looks to for hope. As this saying goes, mama ain't happy, no one's happy. Right? The same goes for hope. If mama ain't got hope, no one else will either. And so that means, mother, your hope must be rooted deep. You need to, at times, fight for it. For the sake of your marriage and the sake of your family. Because your family oftentimes will look to you. And you point them and yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I finish with this third application. Our hope is certain. If we have that fullness, or at times we lose it. If we are full of hope, or if at times the darkness doesn't seem to lift, and there is no side of the dawn. The reality remains the same, does it not? That Jesus is there even in those moments. And that Jesus is here even now. And yes, Jesus is also coming once again. Edmund Clowney says this, Our hope is anchored in the past. Jesus rose. Our hope remains in the present. Jesus lives. Our hope is completed in the future. Jesus is coming. In Jesus we have the fullness, the true fullness of hope. Hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. Or as Peter says here, we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this very much needed word, this encouraging word to us. Lord, may you strengthen our heart and our mind and our soul with it. Lord, too often we have been navel gazers, looking at our own self, looking at our own circumstances, rather than having our eyes lifted up lifted up to the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is high and lifted up and seated upon the throne. Lord, may our hope and our strength and our faith be placed fully and finally in him. If we pray this in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.